Hello, welcome to Supernatural Stories, the show where you'll hear real stories of the supernatural from real people all across Canada. I'm your host and producer of the show, Cal Goodbaum. As I'm coming to the end of the first season, I'd like to thank you very much for listening and supporting the show, sharing it with your friends, and reaching out with your stories that I have the privilege of sharing. Hope you enjoy wherever you're listening from. Dwarves or dwarfs? There is a bit of a brouhaha over which slightly different spelling is more linguistically accurate. Ever since J.R.R. Tolkien wrote his Lord of the Rings books, people have started using dwarves, but he is the first to admit that dwarfs would be the proper original spelling. Why does it matter? Well, the word dwarf and the even older word elf are very, very old words. Originating in Old German before passing into English and other tongues, this word for little people, much smaller than Homo sapiens, has been around for a very long time, but so have equivalent words in other languages, other cultures. Aztecs called them Tukki. The Mayan called them Alux. Kappa, that comes from Japan, and they are gnomes and leprechauns. There are numerous brutally simple explanations for why someone might think they've seen a little person. Mistaking a child or an animal or a short adult in some way, or they could have just been high on drugs. There's also Charles Bonnet syndrome, where people have hallucinations of little elves, as well as with Parkinson's and a range of conditions. Over time, you can imagine how all sorts of sightings, mistaken or real, can get retold and changed into fairy tales far from the original truth. Is it possible to figure out if there is a truth behind it all, a hidden species living beside us? Maybe time will prove it all a flight of fancy, but I believe the age of discovery still reigns, and so today, Robin will help me explore her interest in miniature people, starting with her own stories. I spoke to her over the phone from Athens, Ontario. It's always important to listen to locals in a particular area. And when you've been doing this long enough, you, you know the difference between something that, that's made up or something that could be fact. Do you think that because of the rareness of these animals, that that's where you have stories, fairy tale stories about little people doing magic? Or do you think that there's something separate there? A lot of the time, what was considered magic back a couple hundred years ago was just a particular type of science. But in terms of the stories of fairies having like an alternate reality that they can alternate time they can take you to being able to teleport or being able to generate materials out of nothing. With all these little people, they are very fast and very strong. And they are faster than us because their center of gravity is different. So they run very fast and it's very hard to catch them. I saw a little person when I was very young. It lived in my aunt and uncle's house in between the walls. And I saw it only uh, three times in one summer. And he had a greenish tint to his skin. I didn't see him do any magic. He was very simple. And he wore a loincloth. Like, he liked to watch us kids. I never got the impression that he would hurt us, but he would steal treats from my cousins. If they left a drink or chips or candy on the floor, it would be gone in the morning. 
another cousin saw him peeking around at the side of the house when we were playing with the dog one day and it scared him really bad. Whereas us other three kids was, that's cool. And I do believe that he was called uh, Nanmako. But it was only him. Namako? Mm-hmm. And Nanmako. Because he had a greenish tint. Now, he had some hair, but it was like tufts. And he had big hands. And he, he had a, a kind of a flat, bulbous nose. And his, his eyes were large. But mouth-wise, it looked like us. How long did you see him for? Well, I saw him three times in one summer, and it was only maybe 30 seconds each time. What was happening when you saw him? The first time that I, I saw him, my aunt and uncle's house didn't have running water. So I had to go upstairs and use a pail when I went to the bathroom, and I had a curtain across it. I saw movement just uh, between the curtains. They didn't have a cat in the house. The cat was always outside, so I thought maybe the cat was in the house or something. And I peeked through the curtain, and I saw him. He was in amongst a bunch of clothes for laundry. And it startled me. Uh, so I went down and told my mother. No, my mother didn't believe me. And then later on that summer, we were up above the garage where the wall separates from the garage from into the house. I saw him peeking around kind of sideways at us. My cousin kind of said, look, look. So I turned around and I saw him. And then the third time we were playing with the dog and he was peeking around at the side of the house. When he saw that we saw him, he took off. But yeah, he scared my cousin pretty bad. He went crying to his mother. I mean, that was the only time that I saw him was those three times on that one summer. But my cousins were sure that he lived there all the time. That particular little person allowed us to see him. I go more of the scientific route. Yeah. Because what I will not do is trash or badmouth another person's religion. This is their belief system. It's not for me to say. I always say, let's prove the existence first and then figure out everything else after. I got in touch with Robin, mostly because of her work tracking Sasquatches. She's had Sasquatch encounters also, and you'll get to hear about those stories and about the time she was attacked by a bear while out squatching in an upcoming episode. She discussed why she believes Sasquatch is a migratory animal compared to the various dwarves, elves, and little people. She believes stay hidden while remaining put. As you're listening, keep an open mind. With proto-pygmies, the little people, it could be that some of them do migrate, but because they make their home underground and in rocks and in places like this. 
unless they want a holiday, I don't believe that they migrate. So it's interesting because, you know, on the one hand, I, you know, I fully understand the idea of the Sasquatch as this lost creature maybe related to like, I guess it was called the Gigantilopithecus or something, that large yes. ape. And you can see how with the Bering Strait, the, the land being connected, that that creature came over from Asia into North America and survived here. Makes sense to me. I totally get the origin of that, but I don't understand what could be the evolutionary origin of the little people. Well, it's called human variation, where as a human species, we will adapt to survive. Thus we get giants, thus we get little people. So you think that the little people are evolved from like Homo sapiens themselves? No, I believe that they've always been little. Okay. When my ancestors, both Canada and America, first came here, they said that the little people were always here. They were here when we arrived. Now, another thing is when you read about little people and then Europe, they're called fairies or gentry or leprechauns or different names. Do you think that these are related or the same? Well, we have between six or eight different types of little people. We have the little people that are covered with hair, often mistaken for baby Sasquatch. But you have to remember that Mama Squatch is not going to let her baby Squatch wander off that far. And then we have the gnomes, which is a very large, diverse family, which include the leprechauns. And then we have the, for lack of a better word, proto-Indians, which are small versions of my people. For example, Homo floriensis, also called the Ibugogo. Those little people, skeletons, were found in Indonesia. And the local people talk about them, as I said, and they called them Ibugogo. They didn't have a language, but they would murmur to each other. These little people existed at the same time that we exist in that area. And they were talked about, and they're still talked about today, and they are still seen today. Correct me if I'm wrong, they were about, like, I guess, full size, fully grown, about two to three feet tall? That's correct. Now, there's an ongoing debate about it, scientists, because of the knuckle bones, because it's more like an ape than human. Well, then, even if it was somewhere along the evolutionary track towards more human-like um, primates, that's still incredibly fascinating to, to find something that is an evolutionary cousin of ours. Exactly. It's my belief that whether it be giants or little people, that the entire human race is related. We just come in different sizes. One of the ways that human beings have had to adapt, we've had to kind of evolve to make clothing. 
um, in order to live in environments, you know, using skins and stuff. And with these little people, if they are not covered in fur, how do they survive in Canada? We, we have the urchin rack, which is a collective name for all the little people that live in Alaska. They will wear fur from seals. They live very traditionally. They've been seen fishing and spear fishing and using nets. So essentially, they're similar to the different tribal humans that are the same as us, evolved the same as us that live around the world, like the, the Sentinelese that recently killed that Christian missionary. Yes. So when you think about it, a long time ago, more than a million years ago or so, primates that are similar to chimps evolved a large enough frontal cortex that they were able to throw stones, and then pretty soon they figured out that if you took a stick and you sharpened the edge of it by just rubbing it against something and got a pretty, you know, a moderately sharp edge, that it would fly well and pierce things, and they started killing elephant-sized, you know, mammoths and such like that. When you think about if a, a, a human being of, let's say, about roughly five feet tall or so, four to five feet tall, if a group of them are able to bring down these mammoths that are larger than an elephant today, and we know that that's what they did, with that level of technology and, and brain size and such, then it's really not a stretch at all to think that two feet tall or one foot tall, human-like, a brain of that size would be able to make a basic tool like a spear or an arrow, which is also super basic to make, and be able to, to hunt and survive. During the last ice age, we see that there were also tribes that specialized in mammoth killing, and they were called the mammoth hunters, where a group of them had their specialized skill on how to bring a mammoth down because a mammoth would feed a, a tribe for weeks, and nothing was ever wasted. There are stories in Alaska of these little people um, taking down elk and moose, and, and they're about three feet high. Now, with little people, their intelligence are just like ours, because we forget that they're still people. We just see them as, you know, little things, but they are people, so they can do what we do. They just, um, the, the proto-Indians live simpler, where we have with gnomes, they all live alongside us. They live in abandoned buildings. Do their bodies not show up, or is it just that by the time of decomposition, their bodies look like children? Well, I think that they have their own burial rites, so it could be that they bury their dead. Well, I guess in most cases, obviously, it's never going to be found. This is sort of thing where a lot of people die, a lot of human beings die and are never found. But if they were found, do you think it would just be easily mistaken just for a child anyways? Yes, it, without um, DNA or proper research on the body, yeah. it would probably look like a child. Maybe a child with some kind of genetic deformity. That would be the first guess. Yes. Yes, I agree with that. So you have to think about how is it possible that something like this is existing and yet totally absent from science but you have to realize all the different parallels with this and other animals that are similar there's the sun bear 
That's a rare type of bear. It was, I think, only recently properly photographed because they hide from people and they have a large territory that they live in. The sun bear, yes. It's been relatively obscure and, and hard to get much information. Try and track them. And it took them multiple months of tracking, a lot of money, a lot of time and effort to find something that we do know exists and that we do know has a significant population, although probably maybe not endangered, but certainly rare. So if you think about something like an even more endangered or rare animal in an even large, massive territory, a migratory, huge territory, the challenge of finding them is huge. And then the challenge of finding any remains of them is equally as huge. Because you have the, the predatory behavior of wolves and coyotes, and they'll scatter bones everywhere. The mountain gorilla was just a myth until the 1920s. I hope you enjoyed hearing Robin's insights into this subject and her true stories. If you're enjoying the show, please share it with a friend or family member. I really depend on listener support to grow the show and reach new people to cover more stories. It's just me making the show, but you help it reach a new audience. This episode is a little bit different. I went in highly skeptical about the possibility that there was a real, natural explanation for the age-old fairy tales from around the world. I found that Robin was able to open my mind to the possibility of this subject. How about you? Next, I spoke to Hillary over the phone from Bowmanville, Ontario. We were talking about poltergeists and ghosts. But I couldn't help but notice the parallels between some of these poltergeist stories and some of those fairies and elves. The only other thing that really comes to mind is when I, uh, when I used to live with my parents, they live in an old century home. I used to hear the kettle boiling when there was nobody else home and I wasn't making tea or something. But then I would go into the kitchen and there was nothing. So like, it was just like, I would hear something, but nothing was ever, nothing ever happened. My parents are also very uh, stoutly don't believe in this kind of thing. So I don't know if that makes a difference or not. I've found that it tends not to because I've spoken to a lot of people for instance, Bernard had a family member who really, really did not believe at all in ghost spirits or anything, and they all in the family were quite aware of it. His sister was psychic. One night, he saw this, like, large demonic spirit in their living room. Oh, Jesus. Jesus was right. He, he got shocked into Catholicism. He became a devout okay. Catholic. I did hear one of my exes came from a very Christian family as well, and his aunt and uncle, who had 13 children, didn't believe in using contraception because it was against the will of God, kind of devout Christians, point blank, 100%, were like, yep, our farmhouse is haunted. There's two ghosts that live there. One of them is in one of the bedrooms, and we had to vacate it because our kids kept on saying, there's someone sitting on my bed. Love to get in touch with them to hear about that. That's pretty interesting. I don't have any contact with him anymore, unfortunately. <laughs> well, you know, if you read the Bibles, there's certainly no shortage of ghosts in the Bible. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Was I was raised in it? I've I've had some. Uh, I had a weird one happen today, actually. 
Mm -hmm. um, an ashtray disappeared. Just poof gone? Yeah, so sometimes um, if you like turn away from an object and turn back, it can be gone. That's happened to me a couple times. It's the weirdest That's thing. That's bizarre. Oh yeah, so this ashtray, I had just taken it and I had just uh, emptied it out into the trash can and then put down the ashtray. Then yeah. um, I turned around and then when I came back to get the ashtray, it was gone. So I, obviously I looked just to make sure that I could have put it anywhere. The thing about this is my place is pretty small. There's not really anywhere for anything to hide so much. I'd put it down on the counter. So like I checked you know, whether I'd accidentally maybe knocked it with my shoulder behind the stove or something, and it wasn't. There's right. nowhere for it to go, really. Hopefully it reappears. Like I posted yesterday, I had a chocolate bar. Um, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it disappeared for like an hour and then came back. That's crazy. So you think, you, you think you'll think you find your, your ashtray will just show up where you left it kind of thing? Yeah, so that's the weirdest thing about it is that that's what happens a lot of the time um, when people talk about missing things. Or about poltergeists. It can take days or even weeks and then it reappears. I heard a story about a poltergeist in Edinburgh. In the, I don't know if you've heard of the underground uh, city or whatever. I, yeah, no, um, underground city? Yeah. It's fascinating. If you haven't heard of it, you should look it up. They said there was a poltergeist that goes in the houses around it. Would go in and peel their oranges. And that was it. They'd go in and peel oranges. Like, I laughed because it was funny, but at the same time, it was like, what a, what a strange fixation, right? <laughs> it's so bizarre that it, it really does make me think about, sometimes it seems like a ghost of a human being is coming and giving us a message. You know, with the yeah. chocolate bar, I thought it was like, like, honestly, maybe it's someone saying, hey, watch your diet, man. Don't eat all these candy bars. They'll kill you. <laughs> Maybe, maybe a ghost who died yeah. of uh, died of uh, diabetes. Sometimes it's just so weird, like peeling oranges. You'd have to think, what kind of thing would would compel anything to do that? Any kind of yeah. conscious entity. Yeah. yeah, it was it was strange, and they never gave any rationale for it or anything. They were just like, yeah, it goes and peels oranges, and no, that's, actually, that's the only time we ever hear from it. You know what? That actually sounds more like. That sounds less like a poltergeist and more like a little person, like a fairy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that does actually make sense. Yeah, especially in Edinburgh. So, Burrow, mm -hmm. and so yeah, little people or um, however you want to call them, fairies or whatever, doing like random silly tricks on people. Something like peeling a fruit but then not eating it. That's classic. Yeah. Like I would totally yeah. understand if... If, you know, the fruit's disappearing or something, but being peeled, that's just such a, that's just such a deliberate prank kind of joke. I know a friend who's an expert on little people. I should really try and get her on the show and see what she thinks about that story. Yeah, that'd be neat. That'd be cool. I did ask Robin about the orange peeling story, and she told me that she thought maybe there could be little ones there ones who thought they were helping by peeling the fruit. Or maybe like me, they just really enjoy the taste of orange peels. Being as it's almost Christmas time, one can imagine the elves making candies out of them. There are many possible reactions to paranormal events, even to seeing little people. Robin believes that they are relatives of us homo sapiens, these elves, 
but some people believe that maybe they are aliens in disguise, coming from another planet or another dimension. Odd as it may sound, there have been several UFO close encounters which involved Sasquatch-like creatures and also little people that looked human. Some food for thought. When a fruit is peeled, some people assume there is some simple explanation, but if it happens to you, maybe you'll ponder the possibilities. And if you're open-minded enough, share it with listeners of this show. Whatever it is, stories like this make you question how to understand reality and what we've grown to believe we know about the world. If you have ever experienced something really out of the ordinary, whether it was a dwarf or a Sasquatch sighting, poltergeist activity, experiences with psychic clairvoyance or healing, witnessing UFO or UAP phenomena or anything else, then send me a message. Get in touch by going to www.supernaturalstories.ca, which directs you to the Facebook page, and while you're there, click like to subscribe and get updates. As the year is coming to an end, I want to say again, I've really enjoyed bringing you this first year of Supernatural Stories and look forward to sharing new stories with you in years to come. If you want to help out independent Canadian podcasting and feel generous around this holiday time of giving, you can contribute towards the show with PayPal or Patreon. The links are on the Facebook or you can go to www.patreon.com slash supernatural stories. That's Patreon spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N. And you'll get a mug candy or other gift as a token of appreciation but once again share the show with your friends it's free and it means more people will hear about it and reach out with their story these have all been real stories from real people across canada Music featured in this show is by Jacuzzi Boys with Double Vision, John Watts with Open Your Sunroof, The Tornado's Coming, Blue Dot Sessions with Waltz for Zachariah, Uncertain Ground, Setting Pace, Idle Ways, Sal's Place, and Log to the Water. Unheard music concepts with The Sad Dwarf and C. Scott with Don't Crush That Dwarf. The rest were original tracks. Thank you for listening to Supernatural Stories, and thanks for telling your friends about the show and supporting a place for the supernatural. Please, leave a review on iTunes or Google or Facebook if you like the show. I appreciate it. Get in touch with your true story at www.supernaturalstories.ca. Till next time. <laughs>